0: hello everyone welcome back to another episode of flipping the barrel a podcast where we interview energy leaders in the space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys today we have a fantastic leader that we've been wanting to interview for quite a while and we've got Mr. Mike Holcomb, who is currently the Chief Operating Officer of Patterson UTI since January of 2023. Mike joined Patterson UTI in February of 1998. That can just tell you how long he's been around in the industry and his wealth of knowledge. He came through the acquisition of Robertson Onshore Drilling Company and since that time has served numerous operational management roles, including as President of Patterson UTI Drilling Company. Mike holds a bachelor of science degree in business management from Letruno university. We've gotten to know Mike off camera and off air, and he's just such a wonderful leader, someone that truly cares about his people and you will see it in this interview. And so Mike, thank you so much for sharing your day with us today and for sharing your story.
1: I, I really appreciate the opportunity and hats off to you guys for the work that you're doing. Um, Really appreciate the highlight on the people of the industry. Uh, I've got a lot of passion around that. Uh, and I think of my 35 plus years in the industry, probably the highlights for me are the people that I've encountered and the friends that I've made, uh, you know, and, and continuing to do that today. So look, look forward to spending some time chatting with you.
2: Well, I'm so glad that you addressed that, Mike, because that's exactly why we started this podcast, because we ourselves have been so impacted by the incredible people like you um, in the industry uh, and just the incredible things that they've been able to give to the world. And we just felt like, you know, those voices need to be heard. Um, so let's jump into who you are, where you grew up. And we know that you're from Shreveport, Louisiana, which I know of course, everybody now is like, oh yeah, he definitely worked in the oil field. He's Shreveport, Louisiana. And they probably assuming your dad worked in the oil field, but actually um, your father worked in the drywall business, um, but your grandfather had a career in the oil field. Uh, working on a rig, um, which at a young age, it really inspired you, the stories that he told you, uh, and it kind of got you interested. Um, But you ultimately decided to pursue a career in teaching. Uh, But to finance your education, you thought, you know what, I'm going to take a rig job because they pay well, uh, and uh, I'll finance my degree. Um, And it was during this time that you really discovered what the field was about. Like you said, the incredible community, the wonderful people, the hardworking individuals, and it really aligned with your values. Can you elaborate on your childhood experience you know with your grandfather and also how this journey shaped you into the person that you are today?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, and and I guess growing up I didn't think that maybe that I was blessed because I had parents that expected you to work hard. Uh, and if I if I look back on life lessons, uh, most of them always involved work. You know, we didn't uh we didn't have allowances. If you needed money, you had to earn it um we obviously we had food and we had shelter and we had all the necessities but but if you wanted anything extra then then we were taught early my brother and i that that you know you could work for it or you could decide not to have it and i you know i think back and as as i've gotten older and I now that i have grandchildren i probably pay more attention to the values that my parents instilled uh, than I did when I was raising my own kids. You know, I look back and I think you lose sight of that. And then as you go through life, it's it starts to connect uh, why that was so important. You know, and m- my brother and I, we were encouraged. Uh, we had a hay hauling business. Uh, my family was. We had a a hay business. We would bail hay during the day and then would haul hay at night. And it's interesting. There's, there's one uh, person that I went to high school that. That hauled hay with us we played football together and he still works for me today he's a rig manager for us in west texas so i've i've been working with this guy for for 50 years and uh so he and i are still close and and he's a he's a great leader and and i run into people in class that have run across him out in the oil field or work on his rig and they they always say hey carl wayne says he taught you everything you know well he taught me a lot (laughs) he really (laughs) did but you know and i think for me that's really a favorite time I look back at at some of the childhood friends that I had that ended up in this industry and we've gone through a lot of life together and we were making friends today and then I've had the blessing of working still with a handful of people all these years later
0: thank you for sharing Mike it just truly shows um just even the fact that you have relationships still after 50 years just the kind of person you are and the fact that you always put people at the core of your business and of your leadership style, and so to your point on speaking about your childhood and your mother, you, you spoke to us about the significance and influence that she had on both you and your brother. And you mentioned she's one of your greatest inspirations. You know, she was a single mother for a few for a period of time, and she tirelessly just worked extremely hard for a better future for your brother and yourself. And can you tell us a little bit? About further of the impact that your mother has had on you, but also how you use that into your career and making your career successful with just the work ethic that she taught you?
1: You know, I, I, number one, she was the hardest working person that I've ever known. Uh, mentally, the toughest. She had a lot of, you know, I mentioned when I was visiting with you earlier, uh, we lost my brother when he was 25 years old. I was 24. Uh, watching her go through that, uh, and then uh, a lot of serious health issues. But never once did she ever complain, and she never had pity on herself. You know, and and growing up in that environment, um, she she always treated us like we could do anything that we set our minds to. That was her expectation. She didn't give a lot of instructions on how to do something. She expected us to figure it out. And in growing up in that environment, I look back and, and how fortunate I was to have a mom and a dad that, you know, that really instilled that work ethic. Um, so, I, you know, I still use that today. The other thing that really shaped me is early on, uh, no one had to send me to school to teach me that there should be, uh, that women should have an equal opportunity in the workplace because I grew up watching her scrap. I think I shared the story with you, but I can remember I still have a an article in the Tyler paper. We were living in Tyler, and there was a bank there called People's Bank. And And I can remember she got promoted, and she was a vice president of lending at the bank. And the, the article in the newspaper said that she was the first girl to be promoted as vice president. And this was in the late 70s. Wow. So look how far we've come, because I think they wouldn't print that today. <laughs> you know? But back then that wasn't even offensive, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but, but looking at that and, you know, and for a lot of years as a child, I, I listened to her tell stories of how she trained her new boss and, you know, and because she didn't have a college degree and, but she was very good at her job. And so I watched that, you know, and, and so I've been a, a big proponent of having opportunities for females in the companies that I've worked at. And so, and, and I guess I'll share that is because, you know, I, I grew up with it and I watched what, how she was treated. Uh, and so hopefully we'll continue to make some progress there.
2: Wow. It's incredible. Just you uh, reflecting on that story with your mom and the impact that she had has in your life and how, What's very different about you is you saw that and you utilize it in today and in the workforce today and how you are as a person. There's a lot of opportunities, people meet people or they have people in their lives, but do they utilize really what they learn and do they then act on it and you act on it and you really do want that to happen. And and you you have seen it with your mom. And I think that that's really incredible that for one, that during that time, she was able to do that. And for two, for you to really understand that, that how important that was for her. So thank you for sharing. a lot of times during our life we can run into people that really change our trajectory Um, you shared with us a time where you were working as a rig manager um, and you never finished um, schooling at the time and you randomly ran into the owner of the company um, to your surprise and he remembered you and he remembered your application and he pulled you aside and wanted to talk to you about, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you finish? And what can we do to, uh, to make a difference now for you in your life? Um, can you tell us about this encounter and kind of how it impacted you and what happened afterwards?
1: Yes. I'll, I'll if you'll give me a minute, I'll, I'll be quick, but I'll share the story. <laughs> I had been promoted to a rig manager and, uh, I got a phone call and one of my buddies who was, he back then he was about my age now. And he was, he was on one of these truck mounted rigs, so it's built like a workover rig. And he was moving it down the road and he broke down on the side of the road. And my rig was near there. So he called me to see if, if I could come help him. So I went there and helping meant I crawled under there and I was taking the drive line out that was broken. And and then I could hear him talking to someone and I thought, well this is great. So his name was Boots. I and I this is great. Boots called me over here to fix his rig and now he's out there just chatting with this guy. <laughs> And so I walk out and I've got grease all over me and, and the guy sticks his hand out and he said, Hey, I, my name is Doug Robertson. Are you one of the hands on this rig? And I said, well, no, actually my name is Mike Holcomb and I'm the rig manager on rig nine. And he said, Oh, I've been wanting to meet you. So we're visiting a little bit. And, uh, he said, Hey, uh, I, I saw on your application and I'd been working there for a couple of years. He said, I remember on your application that you had some college. Have you ever thought about going back to school? you know, and I made a comment like, you know, I've got a wife and two kids at home and I work seven days a week, we didn't have relief back then. You just worked every day. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not sure uh, how that's going to work for me. And he said, well, you should, if you figure it out, there's that word again. If you figure this out, let me know, I might can help. And so I went back to the rig and, you know, and I ended up, he gave me his card. And so I called my wife and told her the story and she said well you need to you need to figure this out and so i started researching and this is when some of the adult education you know alternative education this was before the internet uh you didn't have online classes but letourneau university had a you could get a business degree uh it'd take a couple years and go go two nights a week and so he he agreed to pay for half my education if i would make a beer better and he would send someone to my rig and watch the rig while I went to class. So I would leave the rig, go to class for four hours, and then go back to the rig, get there about midnight. And, but back then, the you know, we were using roller cone bits, and you drilled a lot slower. It took mm-hmm. a month to drill a well back then. And so I had a lot of time to do my homework. And so he, he, had, he had this guy that worked for us, his name was John. John would come relieve me on my rig and I'd go to school two nights a week. You know, I look back on that and I I think it actually worked out the way it should have, because I can tell you, I was a lot better student that second time around than I was the first Mm time. I mean, (laughs) I understood that it mattered. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, looking back on that, there's there's no question that 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 meeting by chance that day. And I'm assuming that he probably would have said something to me at some point. But but I look back and it's probably one of the uh, a crossroads. You think about all the decisions. You know, we we make tens of thousands of decisions a day. That was one of the more impactful decisions of my career. I can assure you.
0: It's truly incredible how one person can influence your entire life. Because if this encounter wouldn't have happened. Maybe you wouldn't have never had the opportunity to go back to school and ever, you know, become who you are today as, you know, CEO of Patterson. And so it's it's incredible just the people that you meet and how someone can change your life. And I remember when you mentioned that story to us, you said that since then, you've always wanted to give back as well. And so can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you've done as well for other gentlemen or, or women in your company who maybe didn't get that chance to study?
1: So yeah, we've had we we actually have a program now where we encourage people to to go back and finish their degrees and 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 I don't I I've, I've lost count, but uh, we always have one or two individuals that have heard my story and and they want to know what they can do. Um, so we we have a program now where we encourage that. Uh, even we have a leadership development program where we hire uh, young engineers coming out of school that are and we, we've got several tracks that you can go on but one track if, if you want to have an operations role uh then we we put you on a rig and you work every position on a rig it's a it's a two-year rig based program and then there's another two years being district engineers but we really target uh unconventional students uh some that have worked while they were going to college or mm-hmm. maybe went back to school and they have some some practical work experience because we've We found Mike Garvin, who is the president of of Patterson Drilling Now, has been my right-hand guy for the last 10 or 15 years, 10, 12 years, I think. But, you know, he has a similar story where he was working on a a rig and went back to school during a downturn, got an engineering degree. And we just think that, you know, young people that have had experienced life a little more, um, you know, when they make that decision to go back to school, uh, they're – those decisions are demonstrating you know good decision making ability good work ethic and so we we target that and um, and it's a I mean shame on me if I don't pay that back there's some mm-hmm. other things
2: I do think that when you go back to school and you're a little bit older, you do definitely realize the commitment and you realize, you know, the other people around you, the success that they've had, who have that, have, have a degree that you might be pursuing. So I think you do have a different mindset for sure. um, When you go, when you, when you attend school and either the second time, or when you're a little bit older than right out of high school, Um, you know, let's talk about leadership because you're very passionate about this topic um i think it's funny you even said that you would want to uh write a book titled leadership for dummies which is if it's not out there yet maybe mike will write it um but what i find very interesting about this is there's a lot of people that think like leaders can be um it can be leadership can be learned or you know are they born leaders you know what's your perspective and also what advice like how do you how does you know you're passionate about it but how does one um, get the skill set that's needed, or what do you think is a good leadership style?
1: Well, you had a a few questions packed in. (laughs) You're not born with it. Um, you're born with DNA. And I think, I think some people are more blessed than others in that category. I I would be on the less blessed other than, um, but in, in my mind, when you're born, you've got natural instincts. Um, you know, a young baby learns that he needs to feed himself. Uh he doesn't even know how to cry. The doctor has to swat him on the rear end to make him cry to clean his lungs out. So that's not even natural. But mm-hmm. then very quickly they learn to cry if they want something. And uh sometimes we've got, we've got grown people that still cry. <laughs> we, maybe I do that some too. But but I think from there it's all about development. You know, so you're born with natural instincts and then obviously People. Have, some people have amazing minds. Some people have amazing passions. Everybody has different strengths that you're. But but it really starts from a development standpoint, and so I benefited from having parents that understood hard work and and high character people that that treated people right and treated people fairly and expected the same. So I was raised that way. That lends itself pretty good to leadership, but here at Patterson, we've we've got some really good leadership development programs from frontline leaders. Because I look back and and when you when you hire young people into the workforce, um, you're just taking a chance on what their experiences have been, and a lot of times it's it's been uh, they played sports and they had a coach. And, and no offense to the coaching profession, but just because you're a really good coach does not mean you're a good leader. And you're not teaching leadership. You just bark at people and blow a whistle and make them do it or they're off the team. So that doesn't really work. Um, you know, military's got some good leadership training, uh, you know, in, in Boy Scouts. And, and for me, I was really involved in FFA. There's really good leadership training there. But but if you're a company the size of, of Patterson or the company that we work for, you really have to control your own destiny. So we've got some frontline leadership. That And it's built around high-character individuals. Uh, we really teach the, our company core values in this leadership. And, it, and it's all built on a trust model. And then there's, there's a coaching model for frontline leaders of how do you get people to do what you ask them to do. And it's really you set a clear – you build trust, be a person of high character, and then you set a clear expectation of what you want. Uh, you provide feedback on how it's going. And then there's accountability along with it. And if you, if you can complete those three tasks, it's pretty straightforward for a frontline leader. And I think that model works as you move up through the ranks and so, and so, you know, I think, you know, just being a person and and trust is the absolute foundation. If people trust you, then they'll do a lot for you. I don't know if so I have my- any questions or not, but
0: No, you answered it perfectly. And so we're waiting for Leadership for Dummies, which will be coming out soon. (laughs) No pressure. Um, But on that topic of leadership, you know, you shared a a powerful statement when we first interviewed you off air. And you said, if you do not care about your people, you should simply not be a leader. And, you know, we we totally agree and resonate with this. And, you know, to your point, there's a lot of managers and people in, in positions of you know, leadership, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're true leaders just because you have a title. And you mentioned you had this story where a team member of yours, one of the managers working for you, came for you,' seeking guidance. and he wanted the secret recipe of how does Mike get people to follow him? How does Mike get people to do things for that for him because, he had noticed just how, how your team really truly wanted to help you in any way, shape or form or go above and beyond for you. And he wanted that for, for his team. And so he went to you of like, give me the magic recipe. And you said that at the end of the day is they know that you love them. And, you know, when you mentioned that, I, I was like, wow, you know, I've never heard anybody say that. And so can you elaborate a little bit, maybe on that story and what you mean by your team needs to know that you love them?
1: Yeah, this guy, Harvin Jordan, he still works for me today and uh, we had him, he's in a leadership development role. We, he was a rig manager for us, did a phenomenal job. Uh, and so we identified him as a you know high potential employee, brought him to Houston, put him into development. And, and I think early on, it, and Harvin's this way anyway, he's, he's very smart, he's Victorian of a, a very large high school. Uh, so smart, smart guy and he, he writes everything down. And so he came in my office and he was going, because he had been out doing audits and quality audits for us. And he came back and he said, you know, I've been all over, I've been all over the country and everywhere I go, people ask about you. And he said, these, these guys will do anything to you. And he said, what is it about that? And I just like, well, it's simple. They know I love them. <laughs> and he just looked at me real strange. He said, what? I said, they know I love them. Harvard, it's, it's not hard. This this is the whole concept of the leadership for dummies. If you're if you're a person of high character that can be trusted, and if you care about your people, they will do anything for you. I mean anything. And it really is that simple. But you can't betray that. You know, you've got to be trustworthy and you've got to really care. And and I can remember when Mr. Patterson retired in two thousand six and I moved to West Texas and we had some leadership training. We had some coaches, and and I I thought it was strange. And and back then I still didn't have it all figured out. But but people would just say they would be talking about me in a walk in the room, and they would say things, and it almost it almost bothered me. They'd said, "Well, he leads with his heart," and I was like, well, "What does that even mean?" You know, like you mean I've just got my feelings on my sleeve or what? You know, and and because uh, this is this is the drilling business, right? What do you? And then I. I guess I just didn't understand that maybe that was a different way of doing things. And so one of the things that I think over time that I'm proud of is that within our company, we do have compassionate leaders that care about their people. And when people are in need, there's a, there's a long line of people ready to live. And I think the industry is more that way than probably people realize. I think, you know, I've made a couple of comments in the past that, you know, the oilfield has too many bosses and not enough leaders. And I think we're changing that ratio over time. I actually think that most companies that I'm familiar with are doing a really good job at developing leadership. And, and if you're compassionate about people that they they see that and they recognize it.
2: Yeah, I would have to say in a with what you're saying, Mike, because, you know, with the age of social media and everybody wanting that clear transparency and to understand their leaders, that's going to be a requirement. You know, empathy is going to be key in any leader. And if they don't have it, I think it's going to be a struggle. But there is a, a thing to this, though, that I, I would find more difficult for somebody like yourself, who everybody does love, love you, and they know that you love them back. And then, but you know, with the industry, there's a lot of downturns and it's very like, especially in the rig industry. I mean, I remember seeing all those rigs stacked um, when we had that massive downturn and, you know, West Texas was just like, you didn't even know if it was gonna survive. Um, and you, I mean, at the time you have to lay people off. So, you know, what what advice do you have for those that, you know, get into the industry, they feel like this might happen, um, and how have you been able to you know muster through this time ta- this hard time that the industry always does, um, you know unfortunately have, uh, but especially coming from somebody who is so passionate, who is such a leader, who people know like love them like you know the relationship is mutual, saying bye is very hard.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I think there's it, it's not an easy task. Uh, you know and we've ha- we have these cycles, but in our business, you know, in the contract drilling business, for example, you know, labor is about two thirds of our cost on a rig. And if you don't, if you're not earning revenue and you, you you get 20 or 30% of your rigs down, you know, you can go broke really quick. So there's, I've always been swift to take action. Um, the thing that I've always done has been totally honest with people. I've seen people that maybe the rig doesn't have another job and I've seen rig managers willing to lie to their crews and say they've got other work because they're afraid they're going to quit. That's a that is a no no. Never ever under any circumstances is it okay to lie your lie to their your employees about their future. That's just a cardinal sin. You know, the the things that you can't do with with rocks. I'll say roughnecks, and I'm gonna use that word. That's a term of endearment because that's who I am. But don't be late on my check. Don't short pay me, and don't lie to me you know and and so so be honest with people make decisions be fair about your decisions um, and be consistent and just know that it's not it's not in your control that's just your job Um, and I think people respect that you know and I can remember I, I, i share a story real quick we had we have a rig up facility here in Houston and they the industry was terrible, but we had contracts on some new rigs. And so the people in the yard were still working and we were having a team building meeting one day. And I was, I came down and and I said, Hey, if anybody has questions and the response back from our, from our director there said, well, you may not want to ask questions because they're going to ask about, are there going to be layoffs." And I said, well, that's fine. They can ask whatever they want. And so sure enough, I'm in front of the room there's about 40 people in there. And this one gentleman raised his hand. He said, well, I have a question. Are we going to be impacted by this downturn? And I said, we're going to all be impacted by this downturn. And then he kind of, you know, snickered and said, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're not going to be. And I said, well, let me tell you a little story. This was in 2016. So you know what happened there. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, when I was your age, uh, it was common to get laid off two or three times a year. Um, You know, and I roofed houses. I cut firewood. I built fence. I did drywall work. I mean, I did whatever was necessary. And I never lost a night's sleep over. I just found me something to do and I hustled and I never missed a house payment or a car payment. And and I said, but let me tell you what happened this year. My son was working for Lufkin Industries. My son-in-law was working for H&P and they both got laid off. Mm -hmm. I've lost many nights of sleep over that one. That broke my heart when they got laid off. And the guy guy said, well, I feel like I stuck my foot in my mouth. I said, (laughs) you had a question. I gave you an answer, Hmm. but yes, it does affect us all. And I said, plus the decisions that leaders have to make. One of these days you'll be in a leadership position and you'll understand the burden of that. You, You will. But I think if you just, you know, have integrity, be honest with people, be compassionate about it and then do what you can. But but never ever, I mean, if you you tell someone you're gonna have work for them, they may, they may turn down a job tomorrow based on what you told them. And if they find work, be happy for them and get someone else to fill in for. Them. So that's that's my spiel on, you know, from there where it gets more difficult if people have made decisions that require you to have to terminate them because um again, be respectful. Don't terminate out of anger. Uh, understand they made a poor choice, does not make them a bad person. And um, I've got a lot of those folks that I still get happy birthday texts from and Merry Christmas, and uh, because the the relationships will outlast those decisions if you do it with respect. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my coaching for people. It doesn't every downturn we've had, I've always said it's gonna be my last. Um mm-hmm. it it was hard and my wife hates it because you know we we grew up in around tyler texas that's the that's the capital of where rig workers come from worldwide it's Mm -hmm. and so we know a lot of people that work for us and she gets a lot of calls from her friends and can you do anything for my son and you know it's hard it's hard for both of us Mm -hmm.
0: I really like that you shared that story and truly just transparent about the situations that have happened. And you're right, the oil and gas industry is is cyclical and we all just have to be prepared for it. And I really enjoyed that you mentioned about don't lie to your people, be very transparent, integrity, honesty, because at the end of the day, you will have an upcycle and you will have to hire most of the people that you laid off. It it is what it is. We've seen it. we we lay off and we have to hire back. And to your point, it's how they got laid off and how that message came across and that empathy from that leader that will determine whether they want to come work with you again or not. So it's, I really like that you shared that because it does come around and uh, you know, it's very important to keep those relationships no matter, you know, what happened, whether it was a termination or a layoff. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I think it's super important for the people in this industry to hear that. And you know, we had another question on mentorship. This is something that a lot of, you know, people ask uh, ask leaders about. Uh, I'm sure throughout your 30-plus year career, you've had several mentors or even sponsors within a company. Um, in order to advance, I think it's crucial to have a mentor, just somebody that you can learn from. Can you share a little bit about the importance of mentorship and maybe for those who have no idea how to get a mentor, how do they come about finding one?
1: So what I would... If, if there's some young people that are going to ultimately watch this interview, the, the thing that I would encourage people to do is that you decide who you would like to be a mentor and, and, and it can be very informal. There doesn't have to be a program to have a mentor, but you, you, you watch people and you see everywhere you work, there's people that you look up to and you think, wow, this person does a great job. This person, high character, And just start spending time with them, create opportunities and then say, Hey, look, there's things that I would like to bounce off of you from time to time. And I'm not going to be a big burden on you, but I would like for you to mentor me on things. And if you, if you, if you pick the people, I promise you, they will be willing to do that Uh, because it's, it, it's encouraging for leaders, for someone to ask, Um, you know, and, and so I'm to me, that's part of active leadership, uh, is you're looking for opportunities, uh, for you leaders out there, look for opportunities for people that are hungry, that work hard and that have high character and, and spend time with them and mentor them. And and like I say, it's not a, you know, meeting every other Thursday, formal lunch and all that. It's just, it's just look for coaching moments with your people and then for, Folks that want to learn, identify those that you believe are good leaders and spend time with them. They'll be I, happy to spend time with you.
2: I um I have to agree, and I think masa and I both have the same perception on or perspective on that. Um, you know, we've gone to people and asked, and then people have you know came to us and asked, and it's the same thing, the same feeling. It's it's a it's like a wow, you want me to help mentor you? Yes, of course, you know. But at the same time, it. I do think that it's a take and give. Like you can't just constantly be asking without really understanding, you know, what the request is, or your mentor needs to understand too. You know, what what do you want out of this? Both of you. Um, but I I think that finding and identifying what you like in somebody is important, and somebody just setting you up with a mentor sometimes is not always the best the best way to yeah get.
1: yeah. No, I think for, and for me, if if you want to be mentored, just remember, it's not a shortcut. <laughs> it's it's to improve quality it doesn't get you there any faster mm-hmm. but but really in it, it's it's to develop skills that will take you there but but a, a, a lot of times where I've seen mentor programs fall is they think that's you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put my I'm gonna latch onto this guy and he's gonna get me to the top and that's not mm-hmm. what it's about. Mm-hmm. It, and if you're not really trying to to better yourself then don't ask for a mentor.
2: Now I'm very glad you shared that because I've seen that as well. Um so I think it's it's something that people need to be aware of. And it's not it's not a direction to the top just because you've got some executive that's going to mentor you, you know. Um so thank you thank you Mike for well, I, I
1: I mentioned this this leadership development program that we have for people that want to be in operations. You know, they're out there and they're working in a rig position in the summers. And and I have a a strong belief that if you want to lead Roughnecks someday, you need to be one. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand because you're going to get a call in the middle of the night, and they're saying, you're not going to believe what they did. And then you're going to want to say, well, why would they do that? And if you've been there, you don't have to ask that question because you understand all the – Variables and all the factors that would cause someone to make those decisions, and so I I watch these these bright. We've been hiring some really bright kids out of college with the you know either petroleum engineering degrees or mechanical engineering degrees, and we put them on a rig and and then we they do hitch reports, and then we do quarterly reviews, and they come in and they get to tell all of us in the leadership what they've learned. And everyone that successfully completes the program, the first quarterly review, they come in with the highest respect for the men and women that work on our rigs. They're like, these people are smart. <laughs> and then they start saying, like, I started asking why, you know, they didn't go to college. And and they said, I found out they just didn't have the opportunity to go to college. But mm-hmm. they're as smart as I am. You know, in that respect, uh, you know, you can't, you can't shortcut that. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, whether you're looking for mentors or programs to be involved in, um, don't, don't look for a fast track to mm-hmm. success. It's not sustainable.
2: No, I thank you for sharing. Um, to end, Mike, what we really like to ask you is, you know, looking back on your career, which you actually just gave some really great advice. So that kind of tied into this question, though. But looking back on your career, what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self, knowing what you know now, um, and having experienced what you have in the past 35 years? um, What is something that maybe, you know, you would have changed or advice that you would give?
1: So I guess for number one, for me personally, uh, was to do a better job with work-life balance. And part of that I think it was the timing of my career. Uh, you know, the oil field was not in a good place, and when I started, and so I just worked all the time, and I missed a lot of things uh, when my my kids were uh, babies, if you will. And then, and I had really, I, I got got it figured out when when Patterson UTI or when Patterson bought us at Robertson Own tour I got really close with Glenn Patterson. And uh, he was big on making sure you had time to spend with your family. And he really pushed. And I can remember I would ask him permission mm-hmm. to, I would say, hey, my kids were involved in showing livestock. And I'd say, I got a stock show going up. Is its is it all right if I go? And his answer was the exact same thing every time. And he said, if you can't go do that, you don't have much of a job. And mm-hmm. that he said that every time I, ever. and I just basically, I knew the answer a courtesy I'd give him a heads up that's gonna be gone you know and 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 really I, I look back now and so now I've got five beautiful grandchildren and I've spent more time with them uh, when they're in diapers I changed more of my grandchildren diapers <laughs> than I with my own children I can assure you and uh but that's really important so my advice would be is to smell the roses first and foremost and if you don't work for a company that agrees with that, then did didn't find a new company uh, because that's if you want people to be with you for the long haul then you have to you have to ensure that they have an opportunity to have a good family life and a home life because that that's important from there just some little things on leadership um I've had uh I've my natural tendencies to be a, a bit passive aggressive and so I would just tolerate things until I got angry and then I'd react uh, when I was a frontline leader, and a lot of people they used to call me boom, boom. and, and people say, "Why are you calling boom boom?" I said just wait around a little while you'll see he'll <laughs> <laughs> explode on you. It doesn't last long you could you know and 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 so I've and i've I've been working on that's been a work in progress. I still don't have a lot of patience um I still struggle with self-control, but you know I've certainly matured in that. And so I think one thing that I would encourage young leaders, is to really look in the mirror and every day just look in the mirror. I, I tell a story when I'm in a leadership class when I'm shaving in the morning. I look in the mirror and I ask myself a question, would I work for you? And there's been a lot of days that I said no. And so I have to go back to the office and I have to maybe apologize to somebody or make it right. And that doesn't correct the issue, but it does keep you grounded because I promise you, your people are asking that question every day when they see you. And mm-hmm. and so now, when I look at leaders in our organization, I still ask that question. And I and I will tell people every now and then when I have a leadership class, and someone you know they they've done something, they've said something, and and I feel like the greatest compliment I can give them, and I'll just tell them, that, "Hey, I would work for you." And I know those are simple words, but it means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And and I think the people that are in the industry, they're making decisions every day, and they don't leave they don't leave companies. They don't quit jobs. They quit leaders. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part, you know, that, that I would say the earlier that you can figure that out, then the more successful and the better leader you'll be. And that's that's a big one. Remember that mm-hmm. people don't leave companies. They leave, they leave. No, they actually leave bosses. They don't leave leaders,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but be a leader, not a boss.
2: <laughs> I, I don't even know where to even stop because I absolutely (laughs) love just everything that you've shared, Mike, and I can definitely see and feel why so many people love you and are attracted to your leadership style. Um, You've been so transparent and just so everything that you have described and said in the advice uh, and the use, it's always seems like it comes from the heart when you speak. And I just want to say, thank you so much for sharing. Um, It really has been a very inspiring uh, time just listening to you uh, and just from the very beginning, um, from you not finishing this college to then just randomly running into, uh, you know, the owner of the company to then, you know, going through it. It's not like you had an easy beginning, but it didn't stop you. And I think that's what's really inspiring about this podcast and just hearing people's stories. Cause I'm sure a lot of people seeing Mike now would think like, you know, extremely college educated, super easy, like, you know, beginning life, like everything was fine. He's just so successful. And that's just not, that's not always how life is. And I think you sharing, you know, your journey uh, will inspire others. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I Appreciate the opportunity.
2: Yeah. So if you like this podcast, please like subscribe, leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks. Hey,
1: let, let me make a closing comment. Oh, closing comment. Last, <laughs> if, if you don't mind, I, I've got one. Yeah, more of gonna, this is for please. intermediate. This is for the intermediate leaders out there. <laughs> You'll get, you'll get your first promotion because you're the best at your current level, you know, and you're, you've worked hard and maybe you're the smartest person in the room uh, or the hardest working. But as you move up in the organization, stop, it, do not be okay with being the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people that have talent that you don't have. This is where diversity comes from. And, and so never accept if you're the smartest person on your team, then that means you need to roll your sleeves up and hire some smarter people and, and just understand the value of surrounding yourself with people that can't do that, that you can't do what they do. And yeah. I, you know, I find myself in that position now, and it's such an honor to get to work with a team and a staff uh, that, that are so talented. Yeah. And so, so that would be my encouragement for intermediate leadership is just make sure you surround yourself with talented people
2: no thank you for adding that mike we will definitely be taking that and adding it to the beginning of your episode because i love it (laughs) so thank you and we will catch you on the next podcast
1: thanks for what you guys are doing
2: so much mike thanks mike